0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Michael Stott, Latin America editor of the Financial Times, and I'm stepping in for my colleague Gideon Rachman, who's away. This week, we're looking at Peru which is in the grip of a triple crisis, intensified by the election of far-left president Pedro Castillo in June. Its politics are in turmoil, its economy is in a deep recession, and it's suffering the world's highest death rate from coronavirus. Joining me from Lima for this week's show is Oswaldo Molina, executive director of the Redes think tank and a professor of economics at Peru's Pacific University we're going to talk about why what was once one of the Global South's big economic success stories has now found itself in such deep crisis. Is this part of an ongoing trend in Latin America today? When I lived in Latin America in the 1990s, there were two names everyone associated with Peru. One was Sendero Luminoso. (laughs) or The Shining Path. The path, in fact, of attempted revolution. The organisation grew into the guerrilla group at the centre of the extreme violence... The feared Maoist guerrillas who waged war on the state and made much of the Peruvian countryside too dangerous to travel to. The place was entirely covered in blood. Still today, I remember that. The other was Alberto Fujimori the controversial former president who assumed authoritarian rule to defeat Sendero Luminoso and push through an aggressive program of economic reforms. Fujimori was eventually impeached for corruption and abuse of power, and later jailed for human rights abuses. Yet his defeat of the guerrillas and his free market reforms laid the foundations for two decades of solid growth in Peru, the world's second-largest copper producer. By 2015, however, cracks in the Peruvian success story were already starting to appear. A huge corruption scandal erupted over hundreds of millions of dollars of bribes paid by the Brazilian construction firm Odebrecht to politicians and officials across Latin America. Peru was one of the countries worst affected by the so-called lavajato or car wash scandal. Four of its former presidents were accused of involvement and the affair destroyed trust in the entire political class.
1: Only 17 months in office, but Peru's President Pedro Pablo Kuczynski could be about to be removed from office.
0: Thursday, former president, president of
1: Peru Alejandro Toledo has been arrested in the U.S. under extradition orders. Toledo has been on the run since 2017 when he was sentenced to 18 months preventive
0: detention. Garcia shot himself when police officers tried to arrest him at his home on Wednesday. Prosecutors investigating the vast Odebrecht corruption scandal had ordered Garcia to be taken into preliminary detention. While they probed whether he received multi-million dollar bribes from the Brazilian firm in his 2006 to 2011 presidential term. The turbulent aftermath of the scandal saw successive presidents impeached or forced to resign. Peru had no fewer than four leaders in four years in the run-up to this year's election. But the problems did not stop there. The government bungled badly its response to coronavirus last year. It imposed a drastic lockdown, which crippled the economy and thrust millions into poverty, but failed to stop the virus. Peru's inadequate public hospitals were overwhelmed and the country suffered the highest COVID-19 death rate in the world. Given the political, economic, and health disasters, it was perhaps not surprising that Peruvians were looking for radical alternatives in this year's election. But even so, nobody imagined that Pedro Castillo, a primary school teacher and small farmer from a remote Andean village with no political experience, would end up as president. After winning a very narrow victory, in a bitter and divisive runoff campaign over Keiko Fujimori, the daughter of the jailed former President Alberto, Castillo was sworn in at the end of July. He promised the most radical left-wing program Peru had ever seen. So now that I've sketched out the recent history, let's turn to Oswaldo. I started off by asking him where the crisis began for Peru.
1: I would like to focus right now in the political crisis because it's interesting since the 90s, we really think that we can survive without political parties. And what happened is that in 2000s and later on, we have a formidable and great macroeconomic numbers. And we really think that the political system is not so important. And that's, you know, it's the reason of the problem here. Nobody trusts in politics. Nobody trusts in politicians. And in the meantime, we have like a, all this Lavajato scandal who even get worse this situation. This scandal was terrible in Peru because every Peruvian can see how these politicians are so corrupt. And well, as you know, every single Peruvian president who is in charge since the 90s is in the middle of this kind of scandal. So this is terrible. And this is, I think the seed of the problems here in Peru, we don't have a political system that really works. For that reason, we don't have good candidates. So this is the beginning of the problem. In the meantime, what we have is we have a very inefficient state who is not able to translate all this GDP growth in better public services. So that means that at the end of the day, When the COVID starts, we have a very fragile and terrible health system which collapsed very quickly with COVID. And these two things, problems in the politics, problems in the health, also implies an economic crisis when the pandemic starts. So this is like how, I don't know how to say this, but a perfect storm, really. (laughs) So that's... a triple crisis. Exactly. It's a triple crisis that we have suffered in the past years.
0: Let me just stop you there for a moment. I mean, this is one of the interesting things, isn't it, about Peru, is that you had this performance, which on the, on the face of it, the numbers look very good. But Peruvians, ordinary Peruvians, were not very happy, were they? Now, what was going on there? What, what was happening?
1: Well, as you can imagine, there is still much to be done, and the living conditions of the poor remain terrible, No. Many Peruvians live in slums. They have to walk a lot to get water from a tanker. The level of public education is poor and that's not ensure that the people can insert correctly into the labor market. So Peru has a miracle no, of reducing poverty. We went from, I don't know, 59% in 2004 to 20% in 2019. But at the same time, many of the people who left poverty, you know, This is in this condition of vulnerability. And what is the meaning of vulnerability? Uh, Well, they live in informality. They don't have uh, very good public services. And in any shock, they can go again to poverty. So this is the problem. And another issue is why we have not been able to transform growth into even more well-being for the Peruvians. Just to give you an idea here, Despite the fact that the health and education budget has tripled in the last 10 years, when the pandemic struck, half of community health clinics lacked doctors, and the country had only 200 intensive care beds.
0: Only two hundred now that 's for how many people what 's the population of Peru?
1: the population in Peru is around thirty million, yeah indeed
0: right so just over two hundred beds for more than thirty million people, and exactly. the corona crisis in in Peru was particularly serious wasn 't it we 've ended up i think Peru now has the highest per capita mortality from coronavirus anywhere in the world, which is quite extraordinary, terrible tragedy. Um, the hospital beds was clearly part of that, a shortage of beds. But what else was happening here? Why, why was the coronavirus crisis so serious in Peru?
1: Yeah, well, we have more or less than 500 people dying out of 100,000 inhabitants. And why this happened? Well, part of the answer is we have a terrible health system, first. Second, the labor market is completely informal, so the people, when the government decides to lock down the people, they can do it because they can stay at home because they need to go out to work and get money to survive. And all this stuff, suppose that the GDP fell by 11%, but at the same time, the monetary poverty increased in 10 percentage points, which is more or less 3 million people returning to poverty. This is like a 10 years of fighting poverty, y- just disappear in one year.
0: And then, of course, in the middle of all this health crisis, this economic crisis, there was an election, wasn't there? There was a presidential election. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that election, Oswaldo, and, and how it ended up.
1: Well, I think that COVID played an important role in our election. I think that the most extreme options in the electoral campaign get more attention. And this is the case of Pedro Castillo. Maybe it's important that the people know who is Pedro Castillo. Pedro Castillo is a public school teacher from Chota, Cajamarca, a region located in the northern highlands of Peru. He's a unionist who was a leader of the teacher strike in 2017 and who ran for president in Peru Libre, which in fact is a political party which labeled itself as a Marxist-Leninist. So, this is one side. And in the other side, we have Keiko Fujimori, who is the daughter of Alberto Fujimori, a former president and, you know, the uh, authoritarian president in Peru in the 90s.
0: Yes. So, you had this very sort of polarized election, didn't you, in the second round between the far left and the right, between Two figures who who were loved by their supporters, but hated by almost everybody else and I, I of course in the in the campaign, I went to a couple of the rallies by castillo and he's he 's an extraordinary character, as you say as well though this primary school teacher from from the rural area of Cajamarca. he has a small holding where he looks after his cows and his land, and he was active in the teachers' union, but he was completely uh, Unknown in national politics until this election, wasn't he? And Then he was adopted by this Party Peru Libre, which is a, a Marxist-Leninist political party, um, and then he ends up as president after this very divisive campaign. And I noticed at the rallies that he had this message and, and a slogan which seemed to resonate with people, and it was it was a simple slogan. It said "No más pobres en un país rico," no no more poor people in a rich country, and that seemed to be a slogan which which really resonated with Peruvians. And I'm interested in why you think that slogan and and the program of Castillo was so successful.
1: Yeah, well, I think that the results cannot be explained without COVID, no? The poverty has increased considerably. So the people are very angry. They want to change. And at the end of the day, that was exactly what Castillo proposed with his uh, main motto, as you say, no more poor people in a rich country. And yeah, that's what happened. And the other side, Keiko Fujimori, this is the third time that he was in the second round in a a, a political campaign here in Peru. And I I think that there is also some anti-Fujimorism playing here in Pedro Castillo's win.
0: Yes, and of course Keiko Fujimori is herself under investigation, isn't she, for uh, alleged offences. So, this takes us to another topic, doesn't it? Which is corruption in Peruvian politics. And yeah, that's been a huge issue going back several years.
1: Yeah, well, everyone since the 90s has problems, a scandal for corruption. It's terrible, it's huge.
0: Yes. And this destroyed trust in the political class, didn't
1: it, in Peru? Definitely. Definitely. If you check, for example, the Latin Barometer in 2018, only 13% of Peruvians trust the government. And only eight percent trust in Congress. It's very difficult right. to build something with that numbers.
0: And so you've got this enormous mistrust of established political parties and established politicians, and along comes this primary school teacher from the rural Andes, and he looks like something new. Exactly. He's more and less unknown.
1: We only know that he was a, a unionist who was leader of teacher strikes in 2017. So I think Also, play in his favor for
0: sure. Right, so there's a bit of a question, isn't there, I think, about who's really in charge in this new government of uh, Pedro Castillo. There's this rather shadowy figure of Vladimir Ceron, Marxist Leninist, trained in Cuba, the head of this political party, who's the sort of figure behind Castillo, and then on the other hand, Castillo, who's a politically inexperienced primary school teacher. So if we look at the first weeks or first days of this Pedro Castillo government, what have we learned about who's really in charge here? Is it Castillo who's in charge or is it Ceron who's in charge? What's your view? (laughs) It's it's
1: uh, It's a good question. It's a bit difficult to answer that. But what you must know is Castillo, he never gave some interviews. Even in the campaign, he gave very few interviews in the TV or to the press. But at the same time, you have Vladimir Seron, who is very active in his Twitter account, saying what is the next steps of the government, so on and so far. So it doesn't matter what happened, you know, behind the scenes, but for the people, at least, you know, the perception is, okay, well, this guy is quiet and the other is speaking. So it seems that Seron is playing an important role in the government, even though in the campaign, Pedro Castillo said, that Seyron will not play any role in his government.
0: Right, yes, I remember that. And, and, and also in terms of the appointments of some of the key ministers Ooh. in the cabinet, we've seen influence of Seyron, haven't we?
1: Yeah, and well, we have many ministers and designate public officials who have open investigations or who are not specialists or technically prepared in the field they have been assigned to. So it's a very complicated situation.
0: And markets don't like it, do they? If we think about what's, what's happened to the sol, to Peru's currency since Castillo took off, what's the sol been doing?
1: The exchange rate exceeds 4.10 soles per dollar, when before the first round of the presidential election, it was in 3.60.
0: So the sol has gone from 3.60 to the dollar to 4.10 to the dollar just since the election started. That's that's extraordinary. Um, and, and what about the stock market? Uh, what, what's the stock market been
1: doing? Well, there's a lot of instability here. And of mm-hmm. course, this has like a repercussions for the stock market. And in the meantime, we have an inflation of 3.8%, which is outside of the target range of the Peruvian Central Bank, which is in 2 and 3%. And even though this is a lower inflation rate compared to other countries in the region, here we are more and less in panic because of the ghost of the past no of what happened yes. in the crisis of the 80s
0: no absolutely and, and what are foreign investors making of all this
1: well at this stage for instance in the other days one of the main companies who do forecasting the economy has said that more and less they expect between 0 and 2% of gdp growth For the next year. And this is because investors have designed to stop his plans, just waiting for better signals from the president.
0: Right. So investors are holding off, not wanting to put more money into Peru. And I I understand that Peruvians themselves have been moving money out of the country too. Yeah,
1: in a huge amount of money is leaving the country because of all this instability.
0: Right. No, very worrying picture. Um, And all this, of course, is part of a wider trend, isn't it, in Latin America, of a rise of populism, of economic crisis, growing anger at inequality. And we've got elections coming up in two of the other Andean countries in the next year. We've got Chile electing a new president in November and Colombia electing a new president in the first half of next year. Do you think we're going to see some of the same forces at work in those countries?
1: Again, difficult question. I think that there is like a turning point in the political scenario here in Latin America. Yes, indeed. But in both cases, especially in the case of Chile, COVID has not punched its economy so terrible. So well, I expect that they will not have an extreme figure. As Pedro Castillo. And in the case of Colombia, well, I don't know, because all of these protests in Colombia, they are still very fresh. Honestly, it's a very complicated time for Latin America, I think.
0: Right, because what we do see in both those countries, a bit like Peru, is that they were performing relatively well on the macroeconomic measures over the past couple of decades. But actually, that hid A much worse performance at the level of inequality, social justice, providing basic services, proper public services, and therefore there's there's a lot of discontent and a lot of anger among citizens in these countries, which which is I think perhaps the common factor with Peru, isn't
1: it? Yeah, Latin America is a complicated region. You know, it's a middle-income countries, but at the same time, a very high inequality. And I think that high inequality is playing an important role here. It's very difficult to close all the gaps in a few decades. And I think that's the reason why we have so much anger. And we must think carefully what we must do to to do better in the near future.
0: Absolutely. Just to conclude, if you were going to paint us a picture of how you think the situation in Peru is going to evolve over the next couple of years, what do you think it's going to look like?
1: Well, I prefer to say to do my forecast for the coming months and not years. But Mm. what I expect is that the government understand that his actions, like, for example, this uh, first cabinet, is not the correct path to follow and that they have to moderate if they want investment and if they want growth.
0: So your hope really is that the government will moderate a little bit its positions over time?
1: I hope so, yeah. No, I, yeah. I for right now, for example, Pedro Castillo is the president who started his period with less popularity in at least, I don't know, the last 25 years or something like that. So I really think that he thinks that it's not about him and his actions, but I think in the coming weeks and months, he will understand that instability is not the correct path. And just let me give you an example. A few days ago, he went to the public and said something like, there will be some surprises on food and gas prices. But, you know, for all the Peruvians who lived in the crisis in the 80s, it means, okay, well, there will be, like, price controls and so on and so far. And, of course, these are terrible for investors. So I think he will learn to manage the power he has in his declarations and in his actions, and he will moderate in the near future, or at least I hope so.
0: Oswaldo Molina, thank you very much for joining me today. Much appreciated.
1: Thank you for your invitation. I was very glad to be here.
0: That was Oswaldo Molina, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. Thanks for listening, and please join again next week when Gideon Rachman will be back in the chat.